Product managers give 100% of themselves to their customers. But who's there for the PM? The Product Management Center at the University of Washington. It's a global hub for knowledge, community, and impact. I'm Jeff Schulman, founding director of the Product Management Center and your host on this show, How to Succeed in Product Management. Each week, I'm joined by my co-host, Red, and some of the best product managers in the business. Together, we're having candid conversations that help you understand the challenges that a product manager faces, how they overcome them, and the tools and frameworks that will help you thrive in the role. So let's start the show. I'm Jeff Schulman, and I am a marketing professor at the University of Washington's Foster School of Business. And I'm here because I launched, along with some amazing product leaders, we launched the Product Management Center at the University of Washington. And the Product Management Center is a global hub for knowledge, community, and impact. And for those of you who that's too vague to truly understand what we do, basically, we're taking the interdisciplinary faculty that we have here at the University of Washington, we're taking our connections to the greatest product leaders we have here in Seattle and through our alumni community, and we are leveraging them to do whatever we can to help make product management more diverse, more inclusive, and help all of you, everybody from all backgrounds, get better at it. It's a profession and a job title that so many people want to be, but they don't quite know how to do it. And once they get there, most people I talk to have what they call imposter syndrome. We want to alleviate that by having conversations with some of the best and brightest and sharing them with everybody. And today's conversation, and in pursuit of that goal of a more diverse, inclusive, and skilled product management community, we are talking about inclusive product design. And this is a topic that's near and dear to my heart only because I've been so inspired when I hear people talk about just how important inclusive design is and and how the products that I had never even thought of as being exclusive had left people feeling isolated or unable to participate in an economy or unable to use a product. And so when you hear the stories of just what traditionally thinking about product design without considering inclusion, what that does. When you hear those stories, uh, you get moved. And I'm excited now to have three experts to talk about this and help all of you understand why do we want to think about inclusive product design, how we as product managers can think about it, and how we can interface with other job roles as we're creating these products. Because our two guests today are not traditional product managers, so we're going to learn about how a product manager can interface with their roles that they have. With all of that, that was a mouthful. I got to turn it over to Samaya, who's going to take all that rambling I just did and condense it to why should anybody care? Why should anybody listen to today's conversation with uh, Mandy and Ada? Thanks, Jeff. I think this is one of those situations where why is inclusion important in our society? And as techies, we have been talking about for the, the past five or more years. And the same reason why you need to create an inclusive team and you need to build inclusive products, not because it's just great business, but also because it's the right thing. And I know that word, the right thing, is a tricky one, depending on the context you're in. But as product managers, I think all of us want to do the right thing. We want to have an impact on society. We want to build helpful, useful, enjoyable, delightful products. And so within all of that, underlying it is this need to be more inclusive and to design products that are inclusive and that take into consideration different personas, different psychographics, different people in our society that are not 
necessarily us. So think beyond us and think outside into the larger group. And I know that this is something, as I work with startups, we think about a lot. And as we think about large companies or we work with large companies, we think about a lot. So I am happy that the product management world and the product builder world is keeping this top of mind. And in today's conversation, we can talk about one, the tactics that matter. So how do you actually make this real? Not just something you're thinking about. And two, examples of how this work happens. So I'm excited about that. Back to you, Jeff. All right. Thank you, Samea. And we forgot to have you introduce yourself, but I think our audience has been listening to you for, I think, 16, 17 weeks recorded and even longer before we were recording these as a podcast. Samea is a leader, product leader at VMware. Uh, she's done everything under the sun, startups, large companies, small companies, and driven success all along the way. And I've nicknamed her the queen of clubhouse because she is so generous sharing what she's learned with as many people as she can. Last, before I turn it over to our two guests today, I have to say I always struggle with this because at the Product Management Center, we have several initiatives that we call the Inclusive Product Management Summit and the Inclusive Product Management Accelerator. And I really think it won't be too long where it's just obvious that when you talk about product management, that inclusion is a central part of that. And that's what we want to do at the University of Washington. So in, until then, we're kind of doing, Sumaya, what's the word when you kind of repeat the same thing? You know, inclusive product management, product management should be inclusive. So it's a, uh, there's a word for that. Who's got it for me? Anybody? Darn, sorry. Red would have All figured right, it out, but we don't Red have Red would have here. gotten that. Uh, if anybody <laughs> remembers what oxymoron, right? Is that the word I'm looking for where you use the same thing twice? Anyway, I'm on the spot here. We're recording and I have more tasks than I'm used to because my co-host Red, who we're going to give a shout out to right now, he is not here right now. He is celebrating the Jewish New Year. Happy New Year. Shana Tova to, to Red and all those celebrating. And now let's turn over to Ada. Sorry for the long-winded intro, Ada. It's now your time to speak. Tell us a little bit about your journey in product, and maybe you could uh, pepper that with why inclusion is important to you. Thank you so much for including me in the conversation today. Um, and I think you asked me about my journey, um, how I got here into this world of inclusive design. I started my career in IT as a product manager for science software, grades K through 12. I had the incredible opportunity to co-author a completely accessible iBook on the life cycle of stars. It was a collaboration between SAS, NASA, and National Braille Press. We used sonification to convey data points such as luminosity and temperature using pitch, low pitch to indicate low values and vice versa. It was this incredible experience that introduced me to the visually impaired community. It was meeting the students that used the product. It was them asking me for more products like it. That's when I really saw the need for accessible software. When I returned to the office, I wanted to make the other 390 products accessible too. But I soon discovered that accessibility, it's not something you can retrofit. You really need to develop with accessibility in mind from the beginning. Now, I'm the program manager for the Product Diversity Office and the Diversity by Design process at Lenovo. Our focus is to bring the voices of our diverse customer base into its research, design, and development process to ensure that products are free of bias and are validated for inclusivity and accessibility from the very beginning. This is an incredible opportunity to influence the and to include people from all backgrounds and different abilities. 
So that's a little bit about where I started as a product manager and where I am now as a program manager for the product diversity office. All right. Thank you, Ada. It's wonderful to have you here. And now Mandy from Lululemon. Tell us a little bit about your journey. Hi, everyone. Thank you, Jeff. I'm Mandy Buller. I'm a diversity, equity, and inclusion practitioner, and I've been in equity work for many years. And traditionally, what you may know about diversity, equity, and inclusion is that it's been situated in HR. So that's where I spent a lot of my time in organizations, which has employee product considerations. And more mature companies that are progressive in DEI have started embedding it within their operations ecosystem, such as their products and services. And so I've had the opportunity to work across many different industries and support both employee products, as well as financial beauty technology and fashion product inclusion. And I've done that by coaching different product managers on how they could bring an inclusive lens on how they work in design. So I currently work at Lululemon. So I'm an inclusion, diversity, equity, and action partner where I lead our inclusive design work. And I'm also part of a team at an anti-urgency humanity-centered design consultancy called Pause and Effect. I'm a member of Design Justice Network, which is a community of people who are rethinking design processes. And I was recently part of an equity army cohort on product inclusion that was led by Google's product inclusion SVP, Annie Jean Baptiste. And what's attracted me to product or the product inclusion space is that I am a person that holds multiple intersecting marginalized identities. So I know what it feels like when you weren't thought of in the design of a product. And I've also experienced just the magic of good product design, which liberates and transforms possibilities for folks who are too often used to being considered on the edges or overlooked. And I truly, as a DEI practitioner, believe that DEI needs to be a holistic part of everything an organization does. Too often, it's been siloed as being an HR thing, being applied in respect to recruiting or just behaviors that inclusive workplace culture behaviors, which are foundational, but it's incomplete when we aren't thinking about the products and systems and assessing whether they foster a sense of belonging, whether they promote that social, economic, and digital inclusion, or if they're actually just widening the gap of inequity. So my journey in product has been deeply rooted in inclusion and being critical about the impact of what we create and being hopeful for what's possible if we design differently. All right, Mandy, wonderful to have you here. Thank you for giving your time. And I introduced Ada at Lenovo and and Mandy at at Lululemon. Now's a good time to interrupt and just say their thoughts are still their own. So they are not here speaking for their company. They're here sharing their own perspective uh, for the benefit of all of us. Uh, Speaking of the benefit of all of us, one thing I've seen is that everybody has a different definition of inclusive product design or inclusive product management. And I could always put Sumeya on the spot with a brand new question out of the blue. Sumeya, Real quickly, how would you define inclusive product design? And then I'd love to hear Mandy and Ada each kind of chime in what it means. Yeah, I'm going to talk about it from my perspective as a practitioner. Inclusive product design means designing a product not only for the majority of the users, but also the minority of the users. And so, you know, when we talk about inclusion, it's not about what you do immediately because we know that building products is a gradual thing. It's an iterative 
thing. But from day one, you start thinking about, okay, here are the first set of people I'm going to start with because these, this is what their needs look like. And then the next set of people I'm going to work on or the personas I'm going to address are going to be these people. But continuously make that pie bigger and, may, and include as many people um, with different needs in your solution set or your discovery. And I'm going to turn to Mandy next. We'll go out of order here, if you don't mind. Mandy, how would you define inclusive product design? I would define inclusive design as mindful design that considers the full range of humanity and designs for unmet needs, which prioritizes overlooked communities, or in other words, what we would typically consider as the edge users, the 20% versus the dominant and default communities, which are typically who centered and designed for that made up, make up the 80%. And I believe that the outcomes will be greater accessibility, as Ada described from her story, greater usability and product resilience, and ultimately better product. I believe that there's magic at the margins, and that's where so much untapped innovation lies. And what I want to emphasize is that inclusive design to me is very much a process with equitable outcomes rather than an end result. At the center of it for me is honoring human difference, to resist the urge to attempt to simplify or create a single universal solution for billions of users, but instead consider how flexibility can be built into the product so that people have agency to customize, to express themselves and use the product as they will. Inclusive design means that we embolish this notion that there is such a thing as an average person and really embrace the complexity of humanity. And it also, to me, challenges power dynamics because it urges us to trust community wisdom and lived experience by inviting people into the design process. A slogan that I always come back to is from Disability Justice Movement, and it's nothing about us without us. And it's used to communicate that no policy should be decided on without direct participation of members of the group's affected by that policy. And that is the same case for when we design with inclusion. As we center marginalized communities, we must also be willing and prepared to share decision-making power and release ourselves of needing to be experts. Wow. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> Very thorough. Samay, did you have a question or response or just wanted to drop wow for us while we turn to Ada to give her thought on this? You know, Jeff, I don't drop wows. No, you don't. Here. That was pretty <laughs> magic. Actually, maybe the first one. I love that answer because it made me think and it made me go beyond the current reality I'm in, which is I work in the B2B world, which has different dynamics than B2C. And so this answer made me think a lot about the instances in the nuance, the differences between the two. But we can talk a little bit about that later on. So thank you for that. All right. Our first ever wow from Sumeya. Thank you, Mandy. Ada, that's the big shoes to fill. Can you get another wow? <laughs> you know, I'm not even good at That is not my intention. My intention is to celebrate Mandy's answer. That was fantastic. When she said, honor humanity, that spoke to my heart. You know, I spent the first portion of my career as a classroom teacher and 28% of my students had IEPs, individualized education plans for a learning disability. And when Mandy said, you know, honor humanity and honor our differences, you know, it put my mind back into that space. And I am just 
it is such an honor to be here and be in this conversation with Mandy. So I will wow Mandy too. So thank you, Mandy. That was great. You are so kind. This is my first time using Clubhouse. I don't know how to do those emojis and celebration ones, but think that is so kind. Thank you for just, yeah, responding to my answer, but over to you, Ida. So what does inclusive design mean to me? I think it's a curiosity, right? It's a curiosity. It's an investigating the ways in which diverse users might experience technologies differently and accounting for that in our designs. So it's like Mandy says, right? It's it's that curiosity in the process and, you know, looking at our research, who are we testing our technologies with? You know, our users that we're running this, that we're testing our products with, is it representative of, of everyone? Are we including everyone? So I think that inclusive design is a curiosity and an execution in investigating how technologies are being used differently by our different users. And we put products in the market. And if you have, you know, a certain limitation or a difference, you're making modifications to these products to be able to use it, to be able to maximize the product. And inclusive design means thinking about that, thinking about what are those needs? What, how could others be modifying our technologies? And can we do that for them? You know, and maybe develop a disruptive technology that will be impactful to the lives of everyone. Everyone will use it, right? But it'll really bring home that value to someone who couldn't just buy something off the shelf. They had to modify it because they couldn't use it in the same way most people can. All right. Thank you, Ada. This is excellent. And I want to give a shout out. I welcomed uh, Srikar Patlari onto the stage. He is taking notes into the Product Management Center Slack channel. So if you want to get in on the Product Management Slack channel, a chance to connect with hundreds of other product managers uh, to catch live thoughts uh, from these sessions, I don't know the best way to do it. That's Red's responsibility. But you can either LinkedIn message me, LinkedIn message Sumeya, we can get you an invite to the Product Management Center Slack channel where you could see what Srikar is furiously taking notes. Hopefully he got some of the great wisdom that Mandy and Ada shared. He's locking down. He already grabbed some great thoughts and there's more. We're going to, in about 10 minutes, open it up to audience questions. And if you're shy and don't want to ask a question in front of everybody recorded on this podcast, you could join that Product Management Center Slack channel and post your questions there and we'll get them into this conversation But my question now for Ada and Mandy is, at what point in the development process does thinking through inclusion belong? So I know we kind of already heard it from Ada from the beginning, but I'm curious if you could put your product manager hat on and, and tell people, when should a product manager be thinking about accessibility and inclusion as they're developing the roadmap? So inclusive thinking needs to be everyone's responsibility. I think that's really important to hear. It's everyone's responsibility. It's important to have diverse teams, that diverse teams are represented in both the product planning and execution phases, but the product manager plays an important role in advocating the necessary specifications and requirements at the beginning, right? When you are listing those specs, you really need to start thinking about, you know, what does it take to make something accessible or inclusive? And how much time and how much value does it add? And how do you advocate for that requirement? 
but it's also important for designers, developers, and testers to advocate and verify that it's done correctly. I would absolutely echo Ada with from the very beginning, that's the best time to do it. That doesn't mean that if you are maybe in the process right now, where can you iterate and add inclusion? There's always opportunities. And I would take those two, think about how you can consider inclusion throughout every step. But the most seamless way would be to be at the very beginning. And when I say that, that's at the ideation, at the research and development phase, you know, at conception of when we're just thinking about what product that we're starting with, we need to be asking ourselves what we're solving for and for whom is it a solve. And when we're doing market research, ensuring that we're centering the voices and experiences of marginalized communities, when we're getting funding for projects, ensuring that there's adequate budget and resources to compensate participants for their insights. And when we're building our timelines, ensuring that there's space carved into projects to collaborate. Inclusion requires time. And especially if it's the first time you are taking an inclusive lens on product management. And often we need to slow down to speed up in this work. And it's all part of the process. And it helps us make sure that we're not skipping steps or operating from expedience bias or missing any gaps in our process. So as early as possible would be the ideal time, but I don't think it's ever too late, but it's the least disruptive if you're able to get in and think about it from the very start. One of the things that I also love about this conversation and and I would love to bring up is if you look at the history of human-computer interaction or human-computer design, a lot of the advances there came about because some people spent time thinking about inclusion and the rest of us benefit from that. So I think the point everyone has heard made so far around making this part of your thinking day to day is is salient and means good business. What I'm curious about is the choices that get to be made and the prioritization. So for us product managers, fundamentally, we have three things we do. First part is all about the ideation, the discovery, the defining what needs to be done. And then the second thing is planning what needs to be done and prioritizing. And I want to talk a little bit maybe about prioritization, Jeff, if we can. And then, of course, the last one is execution. The prioritization piece, sometimes it pits one group against the other. And if I'm saying it that way, I know that it's a little bit of a reductive way to say it because this is not a zero sum game. The reality is if certain people don't get prioritized, sometimes it takes a long time for them to get prioritized. So I'm curious, from your experience, what does that inclusive prioritization look like? Ada or Mandy, want to take that first? Sure, I can start with that. From the way that I've been practicing inclusive design, it's really thinking about those that have historically been most harmed or excluded from whatever the product is that you're working on or the current structure? Well, who is currently being harmed or not benefiting or wasn't thought of when you are building something? And what we know is when we start with the edges, so you start with the people who are part of underrepresented or marginalized groups and you build for them, you end up creating solutions that end up serving the 80%. And then you've hit 100% of the market. Whereas what typically happens is we start with those that are 
in the 80% and they don't work. So there's so many great examples of products such as even podcasts. You know, we all listen to podcasts when we go. uh, I know I listen to them when I go run or I'm in my car. And what we know is those were originally created for people that couldn't maybe pick up a book and read a book. Or um, subtitles were originally created for people that were deaf or hard of hearing. And what we know now is it works for people when maybe you're in a noisy place or you're watching Netflix next to somebody who's sleeping. So a lot of the innovations, the everyday products that we don't even realize were built because they were prioritizing people with disabilities or prioritizing a marginalized group ends up benefiting all. Whereas if we focus on the majority or we focus on this default, it doesn't work for people who have different abilities or who aren't being looked at. So I think with inclusive design, there's just a bit of balance that needs to be brought back into how we think about products because so much of the everyday products that we don't even realize are exclusive. Like I'll give an example. I recently heard about the first accessible pregnancy test for women and I didn't realize what was inaccessible. And then I realized for women that are blind, they've never been able to read whether or not they're pregnant or not. They've always had to you know, have a stranger read it. And now it's a tactile one. So it works. So there's just things that, you know, as Jeff, you mentioned earlier on the call that you didn't even realize were exclusive to you because you're able-bodied or you were thought of, or you were part of that norm, quote unquote. So that's why inclusive design, what it is, is it's looking at folks that are very often just overlooked because they're different than what is the default. So I do think that there is a prioritization on the edges, but that doesn't mean that what the solution is going to be isn't going to work for people in different contexts or who are part of that larger majority group. In the product diversity office, we start by looking at the product, the new technology, and assessing where the risk is. And after we've assessed the risk, then we really start thinking about the research. We start thinking, who are the users that are going to be benefiting from this technology? And then we start really working a test plan, like the research plan, how we're going to go out and test the idea, what are demographics, who are the underrepresented populations that would be impacted or that would benefit the most from certain improvements in this technology. So we really start to gather some data so that when we go in and we start saying, well, this is the recommendation, we need to change this feature or add something, we have data from our research pool, our participants that are in fact impacted and we get that kind of information. And that's how we start going about inclusive design, right? We start by looking at the technology, looking to see what groups it's going to impact, what are the special considerations, and then doing some research, gathering some data so that we can go back with some numbers and impact the development team and the development process. All right. Sume, anything to add before we maybe turn it over to the audience for questions. But uh, Samita, do you have a question or anything to add before I do do that? I do have a question because this is also an area that I want to always continue learning on. And part of uh, this is, uh, or part of the learning is twofold. One is staying up to speed on the the new designs and interactions that are available, that are being developed and people are being innovative about in the market that can be helpful to everyone. Uh, So that's one piece. But then the second one, when we're talking about research, um, 
you know, working in a in a large company, I have a lot of access to that. But I'm also again thinking about the startups I work with, and in their early days, trying to validate a hypothesis and just understand if they have viable business to start with. I'd love to hear about resources that people who don't have, you know, that kind of training or. Uh, they have resources to help them with the research. What kind of resources do you recommend? Is there anything publicly available that people can use? I love the resources questions and Ada's coming off mute to save the day. Resources people could use as they're researching how to be more inclusive or, or getting more inclusive samples or I won't ruin the way Samaya brilliantly asked that question. Just turn it over to you, Ada. So we do a lot of research using third parties and that does take a budget. So that is that is true. But if you're able to develop a survey, a screener and talk to people in your community, you can if you have a good tool and you have a survey and a screener and you ask the right questions, you can easily get a sample. We have social media. We have the Internet. I mean, we can reach out to communities. Right. So if you're able to simply put together, you know, a plan and you think about the demographics and you survey, you can reach out and reach, you know, a global the, the whole. I mean, you can reach you can you're, you can expand your reach across the country. Right. Or across the globe. So there are ways to do research on a low budget, on a lower budget depending on the product that you're working on, it becomes a little more complicated when you're working with software. I mean, you have to think about, okay, how am I going to get users to test the software? So we did have a situation where we had software that wasn't exactly out the door yet, and we needed to talk to participants. So we had to be really creative about that. Of course, you know, in the time of the pandemic, there wasn't a set way of doing things. So we came up with the idea of making these demo videos and asking very pointed questions to gather the data that we wanted from our users. And those are things that if you are creative about the tools that we all have access to, you could do that. You just have to be, you know, curious about what is it that you want to know? How do you get the information and spread the word? Hey, I have a friend named Jeff. Maybe he can share it with his university students and get the word out about your research, about your survey, right? You can do it within your community, especially living in, in these times where, you know, when we post something or we share something, everyone can have access to it. So I think having, making good use of your, of the tools that you have, look, trying to be creative and seeing things in a different way. But, you know, you can easily make videos to demo products. Uh, you can make surveys and question participants. You can also, there, another thing that we've talked about for research is, you know, we have communities uh, that specialize with certain populations. Go out, volunteer, give your time, make a connection. and then. You can give something back to that community and also learn what their needs are and implement that into your product. So there are a lot of creative ways to go around getting the information that you need, depending on your budget. I hope that's helpful. Yes, thank you. All right. Mandy, did you have just any uh, quick things to add? Yeah, I think that was, Ada, you covered so much of it. Um, 
The thing I would add is like part of doing and designing inclusively, it really helps when you have a diverse team. So if you haven't um, maybe recruited your entire team, think about diversity. You know, that is so critical. It's part of why organizations need to diversify. The more diverse product teams we have, the more inclusive product will just result out of all of the different perspectives and experiences and thoughts being put into it. So that is something I would highly emphasize if you are part of a large enough organization that maybe you don't have a, you have a quite homogenous product team, but there's a lot of diversity in other parts of the business. Think about how you may engage some of those folks to be part of the design process. So employee resource groups, if you have those, um, those are spaces where employees from different communities gather. And a lot of them may actually be looking to gain skills in product development. So it can be a really great way to also upskill folks and give exposure, but also have folks from not even just identities, but different experiences, like bring in folks from a different team that sees things differently. Like I think there's so much beauty and magic that just happens when you you know, bring diversity together and when building a product and get those perspectives, a key aspect of inclusive design is co-designing and building with communities. So think about where there could be opportunities to do that. What I've also seen some teams do is when you're, you know, building your product roadmap, what might be some key touch points in which you know, you, it would really serve the product to have different perspectives and voices come in and form and provide insight. So consider what those key touch points will be. What I'll emphasize is compensation. If you are working with different communities, think about like, and it may not be with money, maybe it's a different way. Like how can you foster a reciprocal relationship with those that are bringing insights, especially if they're folks from historically excluded communities and really building relationships? Like how can you build and foster a relationship of trust with folks that historically, like I said, haven't been included in previous products that you've designed and thought about. And as for additional sources, I don't know if this is so much of the research, but if you're looking for more sources on inclusive design tools that will help you as you are facilitating some of these research sessions, the Inclusive Design Research Center has many design justice that I shared on top of the call. They have a network online. So you'll notice a lot of inclusive design sources are open sourced and they're available and I'd highly recommend them. Really, we need more and more people to be in this work. It's not a secretive thing. I think the more that we can share and more that we can support each other on this journey that a lot of organizations and product teams are going through, the better, the more it's going to have a broader impact in society. Thank you, Mandy. And now it's time for audience questions. So if you have a question for Mandy, Sumeya, or Ada, get your hand up. I'm going to try my best to channel Red. He's my co-host who gets Sumeya to laugh. That's his number one expertise. Um, <laughs> I don't know if he wants to be reduced to that's his number one skill in life. And look, I guess I've got it now. He here. does well. He does well. And to, you know, the point usually Red makes is if you are in the product building world or in a design or a product manager and you have a question, please make sure your bio has that in it. So empty bios, we generally don't don't bring them up just because of the troll experience we've had in the past. And with that, I do have one question as we wait for other people to come up. My question, Mandy and Ada, is around examples. 
that you've seen where inclusion has worked or you can tell that the product designers were thinking in an inclusive way or the product builders were thinking in an inclusive way? Any that come up uh, that we haven't mentioned so far? I think, Ada, you worked on one, you know, the, the NASA one that was amazing. Love that example. Anything else you want to highlight? Right now, I think that Microsoft Gaming the adaptive controller for gaming, that is such a brilliant, inclusive design. It's mind-blowing, right? Um, they have this adaptive controller with big buttons. Uh, we know that mobility disabilities are very common. We know this is an issue. And who doesn't like to game, you know? And I have watched so many videos <laughs> of users, you know, from their hospital beds with one hand gaming and experiencing that pleasure, you know? And, and they say, well, I'm here in this hospital. I'm going to be here for X amount of time. And they have this joy and wow, you know, to be able to bring that much joy to the world, right? So I think the adaptive controller and Logitech's adaptive gaming kits are just really fun, inclusive designs that are bringing joy to the world. I love that. And Raul, our uh, good friend also from the the gaming world, Raul, did you want to add anything to, to what Ada said? Yeah, yeah. I'm um, sorry I'm talking well. I'm with, I'm with my daughter and hopefully you won't hear any cries. But um, yeah, with the experience of uh, globalization and globalization in terms of gaming, one fun thing we did with uh, Spider-Man we had the designers and the developers uh, go to Chinatown, go to Little Italy, uh, take a tour of the city and become immersive in the different cultures. So when they were creating the rooftops and designing the, the background of the of New York City, you know, they were educated on what they were, um, you know, what they were building. That was a, a super fun project. And also there was like you know, some hand signals that Spider-Man would do, like a thumbs up. Um, and, and some things like that. And we found out in other countries, like those kinds of gestures um, maybe were not as fun or did not mean good things. Um, and so we had to change Spider-Man's hand gestures as well. So gaming is, is it's super fun, but you just have to be careful as well. And I, I heard gaming and I, I got so excited. So man, I had to jump up. So thank you for... I, I love it because we heard two examples here, a hardware example um, that also has some software implications and also a software one that talks about more of that cultural inclusion in even the creative side. So thank you both for the examples. And now it is question time. So... We, uh, since Red, he always hates it because I always tell him that it's his moment in the sun to handle questions. And he doesn't do this for a moment in the sun. He does it because he loves building community and helping people. But we went 15 minutes beyond when we normally go to questions because I didn't have to give Red his moment in the sun. Now it's your moment in the sun. I want to remind everybody who comes up on stage that this is being recorded and put out as a podcast, How to Succeed in Product Management, which is available wherever you listen to your podcasts. And so if you have a question... Go ahead, Muhammad. You're up. If you have a question for Mandy, Ada, or Sumeya, we'd love to hear it. Yes. Hello, everyone. My name is Muhammad. I do work as a product manager in a telecommunication company. I'm happy for being in such a conversation. It's very useful. However, I'd like to ask the speakers about, we know that there is a lot of difference between the life and the academics. We learn about the product management and what really happens in the real life and in the market. Accordingly, I'd 
uh, it will be nice to hear from the speakers about the most tips and tricks that you would uh, advise when we are going within a product uh, life cycle. All right. So thinking about inclusion through the product life cycle, one or two uh, tips in addition to what we've covered so far. Sumaya, you came off mute. Do you have a clarifying question or something to add yeah, to Yeah, I think uh, Mohammed's question is about the, I think if you have not done this or changed your mindset or adopted this inclusion mindset in your work, it might sound like it's uh, theoretical. So the first thing I think I would say from a very practical standpoint is awareness. So build awareness around who are the people you're excluding when you're making certain design decisions or awareness around who are all the people that should be considered and just being very, if you're making uh, decisions around here, these are the people we're going to focus on first. Again, in our world, we work a lot with psychographics and personas, etc. Just be extremely upfront with, by deciding on focusing on this persona, we are by default excluding this other persona. So Sometimes in project management, that comes up in terms of anti-goals and goals. So just being upfront about that and mindful of that, I think, is the first step, at least for me. I, I, that's something I try to, to keep in mind. And then the second practical thing is staying up to speed and looking at all the advances and interactions out there and trying to adapt as many of them as possible. Because realistically, I do know that sometimes we can't think of all the different groups and the needs of all the different groups at any given point in time. Yes, over time, you can think of everybody. But in, in a specific time horizon, there is an implied exclusion, but if you are staying up to speed on the, like I said, the innovation that's available there, you might be able to leverage existing things or open source solutions quickly and include them in your products. So those are the two tips I have. Yeah, um, Mohammed, what comes to me is I think that if you're coming in new, that's like what I know is from my experience, it's still a relatively newer space. I know it's become more of a topic and people are talking about it a lot more, but I think it's still a new way of working for a lot of product managers. So if you are coming out of school and you've just learned about all of this and you're curious to get your hands dirty, I think that is like incredibly like bring those perspectives, come in with those fresh eyes and question a lot of the current processes and know that there's every person, every system has bias deeply in it. So an activity that I love is a five whys, where you're just like, even if it is a certain target audience, but why that audience, but why asking it five times to get to the root of it. I think a lot of, you know, mitigating bias or expanding our awareness is just questioning, critically looking at things with curiosity. And I think students do it best. I know when I came out of university, I was just, yeah, I was, I was curious. And I think keeping that curiosity, sometimes when you're in any industry, any workforce, you just, if things become a habit and you get into the, well, this is the way we've always done it. And when that starts happening, that's when you lose some of the creativity. That's when we start to go too fast. That's when we start to exclude versus being intentional and thoughtful. And my other advice would be to pause and partner. I think it's so important with DEI work and anytime we're trying to be inclusive, we need to collaborate. We need to speak to different communities. So pause and partner whenever you can and ask 
who else? Like who who else's perspectives can we get? Whose perspectives haven't we thought about? And I think that's this iterative process of being also last one I'll say is being flexible. I know we have timelines. I know there's deadlines, but how can you build some flexibility into the process so that, you know, you don't feel like you don't have room to explore or pause when, yeah, when something comes up or you notice something along your roadmap. All right. So thank you for the question, Mohammed. Hopefully you got a little bit of what you're looking for. In the interest of time, I want to move over to Ritesh. Red always gets into people's profiles and makes some sort of joke. And I just don't even know what joke to make off of stealth mode. Maybe like, are you allowed to talk about things on a recorded podcast <laughs> while you're in stealth? I don't know. But uh, the, the floor is yours. All right. Thanks, Jeff. So yeah, so, uh, you know, I'll, I'll talk about the product management aspects and particularly about the, the the topic of discussion here about the inclusive product management and add some questions around it to the speakers so again, thank you for allowing me to speak up here. This is my first participation, by the way. I'm happy to to jump in and be experience this as well. So about myself, I'm I'm a product leader. I'm a part of a small bootstrap startup that we are working in an uh, ed tech space. Particularly about the inclusivity, I wanted to hear a little bit more about the various aspects of inclusivity. You know, in terms of the degree of complexity you know, some examples of that and the degree of complexity involved in incorporating that into your uh, product design, you know, and I heard, I think Ada was mentioning that it should be a part of your uh, design, it should be part of your initial stages, but just thinking from a startup standpoint, we are right now bootstrapped, we are, uh, we have a, a cash uh, crunch, as you can imagine, we are working through features that most product, most users are going to use. So we do think about some aspects of inclusivity, but I'm definite that we are not thinking about all aspects of it. And how do you advise uh, in terms of a startup, you know, what are the things that we should do as a best practice to incorporate at least bare minimum, if not everything? Because maybe we won't be able to include everything in our base design. So this is interesting because I think this ties to the previous question and the answer I was thinking for that question, I think applies to this one as well. So one of the things that I do, you know, you wake up in the morning and you do your reading, you read the news, professional development. Well, I try to keep a repository of these things. So for example, I, I keep a page that is on visual impairment resources. And then I have, how do you do, what are the practices for sonification? How do you, what are the rules for alt text? Right. So you have your different categories as you collect information. You're, you're not maybe you're not even going out of your way. These are things that you're coming across, but you're collecting them in a repository, in a page. Right. So that when the right product comes along, let's say you're working on AR glasses. Whoa, hold on. AR glasses. That could tap into VI, right, into visual impairment. If you're working on a gaming control, maybe that's something that you're thinking mobility, right? And then you have your resources. So then once you have, you have your library, your collection, when you're working on that one product, right, which one of these inclusive topics can you manage with that product? Maybe you can't hit them all, right, with every product because you're a small company and, and these are the things that you can do. But if you're constantly reading about it, you're preparing your mind, when you have that opportunity, you'll want to do it because you've invested all this time in researching it. You've kept it top of mind. And here you have an opportunity and you'll, and you'll know the best practices so you won't spend a lot of time and money in doing the wrong thing because you've been researching it all along. 
So that's one tip to kind of help with a company that is is really a little more tight on, on budget and resources. I hope that's helpful. Yes, definitely. Thanks, Hida. And I'm going to put Sumay on the spot, but this is her bread and butter, startups and, and trade-offs and experimentation and prioritization. Sumeya, do you have anything to add about, you know, you're just getting started, so you think, gosh, accessibility, inclusion, that's what big companies should worry about. How do we change that mindset and how do we not just change the mindset, but enable everybody to think about it and act on it? Yeah, I <laughs> I think this is why the question of prioritization is, I think, uh, where where true inclusion shows up. Here's how I think about this. Every startup has a vision and a mission and like at its core wants to create some sort of value for someone. And so staying true to that will help you decide what does inclusion look like within your context. And then continuing to ask the questions. I think I personally constantly feel uncomfortable with the question of inclusion. I constantly feel like I don't have the answers. Even when I'm working on the same product for a few years, I'm constantly, every six months, revisiting the question of who is my customer, who are the people who have problems in this space that I want to solve this problem for. I'm constantly uncomfortable with that you know, with the question of, am I being inclusive enough? Am I thinking of everyone in, uh, who needs to be thought of? And I assume that that's really the right place to be, is having that tension, because ni- I think 90% of the good product management decisions we make have tension in them. You know, we make decisions based on a little bit of data, but we have to make it, we make those decisions quickly because we need to take action. We need to validate. And so, I mean, I'm (laughs) I'm being honest here in saying that I don't necessarily know the right answer. I just know that I'm constantly searching within the context of my product, of the problem I'm trying to solve, who is the person I want to solve this for and trying to be as inclusive as possible. Thank you, Sumeya. Thank you, Ritesh, for the great question. Hopefully you got a little bit of what you were looking for. Go ahead, Ritesh, what were you going to say? Yeah, definitely. That was really uh, helpful. Thank you. You're quite welcome. Thanks for asking the question. Thanks for being a part of this community here. Uh, We're all here to give back. And that's a question I'm sure a lot of people have and answers that I thought were very valuable. And uh, I think we're all still in pursuit of more answers is how do we get more inclusive? How do we do it? affordably. And I think the more we ask the questions, the more the answers point to it being central to what we do. And I think we all have some room for improvement. Uh, It's great to have uh, three experts here in product and in inclusion kind of helping us along the way. And I want to give them a chance for concluding thoughts. Uh, So Ada, I know you are on the East Coast. It is maybe past your bedtime. (laughs) That's just bad time zone conversion. But do you have any concluding thoughts that you'd like to leave the audience with? Yes. Develop products with inclusive design and accessibility from the beginning. When you try to retrofit it, it's costly and time-consuming. It becomes really difficult. So you need to do it from the beginning. But it's okay to tackle one aspect of inclusive design at a time. Get good with that one, and you'll learn how to save time and money. And as you get better, you can tackle the next one. All right. Very tangible takeaway. Thank you, Ada. Mandy, uh, any concluding thoughts and takeaways you hope the audience leaves with today? Yeah, I 
really want to emphasize that inclusive design is a process. I think we often go to is something inclusively designed. It's all in what was the process. And I just want to echo that was my biggest takeaway too, that it's a journey and it's a practice. And don't be hard on yourself in terms of getting to 100% doing this with an inclusive design lens. You may never get to 100%, but I think every single time that you are intentional about making inclusive decisions, you're getting closer and closer to a different way of working. And I think that's ultimately the goal. And the other piece is really bringing people in. It's a co-design piece. You know, where do you have opportunities to actually bring your users that are different or are on the edges into the process and working with them versus building for them? I think that's such a huge unlock. And then just that honoring human difference, like that one size fits one. I think too often we try to build universal decisions and really people want to be able to use the product the way that works for them. So think about where you can build tailored one size fits one solutions and allow people to customize um, and express themselves. All right. Thank you, Mandy. And one thing Mandy said, which is bringing in diverse people to help design these products and to be a part of this building process. One thing that we here at the University of Washington's Foster School of Business are doing, we have a goal to enable 100 new product managers from historically marginalized communities by June 2022. So we want to help individuals who are close to getting into product management, and we're going to arm them with uh, knowledge, with connections, and an ongoing community of support to thrive in the interview and to thrive on the job. And last time I I pitched, I said, hey, if you want to get into product management, we want to help you. We exceeded our expectations with applications. We have a phenomenal group of people who are ready to be product managers. And we've got some mentors from Google, Twitter, Facebook, Microsoft, Salesforce, all these companies who are going to help these individuals prove to you that they deserve a seat at the table, that they're going to prove that they belong uh, in product management. And so if you're listening and you want to access this diverse talent, uh, diverse talent that's not just ready to contribute to your organization, but has a community of support that's going to be there for them all along the way, reach out to me because we'd love to line up corporate partners, love to line up supporters as we are going to take these amazing applicants that we have, and we are going to connect you to them. We are going to help create a more expansive and diverse talent pipeline. And so now I interjected, but we have concluding thoughts from Sumeya. Sorry to hold you up, but uh, do you have anything you want to leave the audience with? Yeah, Jeff, um, uh, thanks for the work you and uh, a lot. some of the people in this room are doing at uh, the University of Washington. And I know there are a lot of people behind the scenes who are working on that. So my gratitude to them. I wanted to just highlight one thing, you know, Mandy and Ada talked about the mindset around this, the process, the progression, the iteration, the curiosity. Um, And those are all things that I think fundamentally as product managers, we believe in, we do as part of the work we do, you know, finding solutions, iterating on them, being curious with our customers or the the market uh, that we want to address. Um, and so this doesn't sound like a huge leap of faith uh, to, you know, to adopt uh, this mindset. It's, it's, it's part of our DNA as it is. It's just one more thing to, to include in our mindful thinking and planning and execution and, and how we do everything. And when I say one more thing, it's not actually additive. It is just 
a different way of going about it that maybe we haven't been taught because the systems that have been created have been created in a certain way. But I'm excited for this. I know I myself, as someone who has been in technology for 20 years, I have to undo some of my patterns of thinking I have, and I am working on that. So I wanted to say that I have empathy for everyone who is trying to work on this, and it might be hard to start this journey, but we will take it one step at a time and we'll get better over time, all of us together. Yeah, excellent point. And I want to acknowledge that I'm really early on in my learning journey, and I'm sure there's a lot of ways to improve what, what we're doing. And I'm grateful that Mandy, Ada, and Sumeya each shared their stories, shared their examples, and, and some great takeaways for all of us to, to think about. And again, I think it's a matter of doing what we can to, to apply those takeaways, but also reminding ourselves to keep seeking new knowledge that we could apply because it, it is a, a long process and it's a continually, you need continual learning. Speaking of continually learning, I'm really grateful for Srikar. I don't know if he wants to come off mute. I'm going to let him do that on his own time. If he comes off mute, he'll get to speak. And if not, I'll just pretend that never happened. Um, but Srikar is a, a student here at the University of Washington, a great contributor to the Product Management Center community, sharing these insights on the Product Management Center Slack channel and doing this out of the kindness of his heart. And we need more Srikars out in the world. We've got some amazing volunteers and we could always use use more people who want to give back to the product management community. The Product Management Center at the University of Washington is here to help you do that. We've got Ask Me Anythings on Product Management Center Slack channel. Uh, we have these conversations every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific time, and we have other ways to give back. Srikar, tell us a little bit, why are you doing this? Why are you giving so much of your time to help uh, share what Mandy, Ada, and Sumeya had to say with everybody? Uh, firstly, I would like to thank everyone for joining this and um... I think it's a great opportunity to learn from everyone in the industry. Thank you, Professor Jeff, for actually setting this up. One of the main reasons I think why I attend these events and also give some time to help out the community is I'm an aspiring product manager. And I think there's no better way to learn rather than hearing from the various experiences of people. I think one of the examples that stood out for me today was definitely the Microsoft Adaptive Controller. And I think that's a great example of how you should actually adapt to kind of have an inclusive design uh, principle embedded. So I think keep attending these sessions and I will definitely try and give more time and learn and unlearn uh, myself and also help others to get their views and perspectives. All right. Thank you, Srikar. And uh, for those that are hiring, Srikar is uh, an aspiring PM, which means he's uh, ready and looking for work. And I, I can't recommend uh, him highly enough based off of just the hard work he's putting in to help others out of the kindness of his heart. And uh, the inquisitiveness, I think uh, learning is a key, I don't know, character trait. What would you call it, Sumeya? The desire to learn is a key character trait of an aspiring product Absolutely. manager? Absolutely. It's a trait and a skill and whatever you want it to be for you, as long as you exhibit it in terms of behavior. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. It's a trait, a skill. I think you could get better at inquisitive. I don't know. Is it inherent or can you build it? I guess... Yes, you can build it. Absolutely. Awesome. All right. So Street Carbs built it today. Hope all of you will build it next time. Again, we're here every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific time on how to succeed in product management. If you missed some of this conversation, join the Product Management Center Slack channel. You could DM me on LinkedIn. Just leave me a note as to why you want to connect, and I'll get you on that Slack channel to see what Srikar wrote about today. And it's available as a podcast. I can't remember if I said that, but Google, Spotify, every single podcast. Mandy, Ada, Sumeya, thank you so much. This was fantastic. But uh, thank you, everybody, for being here. We'll see you next week. <laughs>